we out here driving up to Vermont, me and Zach Scheinfeld in the car. How you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be on the pod. So, uh, this is the first ever Is This Thing On podcast. Zach's radio isn't working, and we have a four and a half hour drive ahead of us. So we're going to spend 30 minutes of that or so chatting. Yes. Um, I plan to prepare for this, but... <laughs> I think we're doing this off the cuff and gonna see how it goes. Sometimes the best plan is no plan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, Zach, you recently uh, quit your job. You have anything to say to your parents? Um, just kidding, just kidding. No. <laughs> but uh, how, how did you come to I make that have, decision? They have more to say to me than I have to say to them. How did you come to make that decision? Um, that's a good question. I guess I was just like unhappy in my job. Why were you unhappy? Um, I was unhappy because it was really hard, and honestly, I felt like I wasn't that good at it, um, and I mean, like, I don't know, there were, there were just so many days of just being really frustrated at work, and like, all, all the joy I got out of, like, being with kids and everything like that, and, like, all the reasons that I wanted to start teaching in the first place, I feel like I wasn't getting any, yeah, so, backstory, I was a teacher for three years, um, elementary school, third grade, and, like, all the reasons that I went into it, wanted to be with kids, wanted to, like, you know, help them in their daily lives, and have good relationships, um, and learn like how to manage a classroom, all, all those things. I, I feel like I wasn't really getting out of my job, and like the only thing keeping me there was the fact that I made this kind of three-year quasi commitment. Um, and so I don't know. I just felt like that wasn't a good enough reason to stay. I didn't want to do other things. So you mentioned so this three-year quasi commitment. Um, I remember. You know, you tell me about this a little bit. Uh, was there any point within that three years that you considered quitting, or was it always I'm going to stick this out to the end and then uh, yeah, definitely finish like, it off? I mean, after each year, actually, the, after the first year, um, I was like, I knew that didn't go well, and I wasn't happy. But I was like, okay, that was my first year. Everyone says second year being a teacher is way easier. Um, so I, I really had like a optimism about going into that second year that after the third year, I was just like, <laughs> I don't, I'm no, no longer optimistic that this is going to work out for me. So, um, yeah, I guess after the second year I wanted to quit. And then certainly like throughout the school year, there were days I just had to get there at like 7am, 7.30 latest for our morning meetings. And like dur during those meetings, like there were times where I was just as soon as I got there, I had the feeling of, I want to not be here, I want to quit. So that's when I feel like you know it's not for you. Yeah. Did you ever get that? Like, yeah. The I've first been... minute or so being at work, you're like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, I felt that at work for sure. It's yeah. tough on those days, you know, because you want to stay motivated, especially you with, you know, kids that you got to be motivating. And exactly. For me, having a tech job where I'm supposed to be, you know, energizing a team 
it's tough when you don't always feel like motivated to be at work. So you have a team that you manage at work? It's not that I have a team so much as like I have a project that I manage and I'm supposed to be the energy behind it. Okay. And, uh, you know, creating that energy is, is something that I think you have to feel very intrinsically, right? Like you want to, uh, you know, you want to be motiv motivational for the team and you want to set a goalpost for where the project should go. Right. Uh, and that's that's hard when you're not feeling energized, right? Like, yeah. Like having that vision. So, so you mentioned a lot of frustrations and stuff, and I mean, it sounds like, you know, you'd show up at work and just be frustrated. What were, like, the common frustrations that were coming up? Oh, my God. <laughs> so a lot of it had to do with just classroom management. Yeah. And um, just I had these lessons that I had to teach um, and, like, standards that I had to teach, too, because our school was... Uh, kind of revolved around the state tests and preparing kids to pass uh, and be proficient on the New York state test in ELA and math. Um, and so the lessons were very repetitive and had these like strict objectives that we had to go by. Um, so one frustration was staying within those objectives and like ha having to abide by these lessons that felt very dry after teaching them over and over again. And not creative and not like fun for t to teach you just kind of felt like a robot doing it that was one part and then the other part was I, if you don't want to teach them and you aren't super energetic and excited to teach the lessons the kids pick up on that and so they don't want to be there either and then just the whole it'll start to unravel <laughs> throughout the school year I feel um, for me, at least. There are some p teachers that were way better at it than me and are still there and happy, but it just, it wasn't for me, so. What do you mean there were some teachers that were way better at it than you? You mean f faking the energy or? Faking the energy, and I, I mean, some people really like it. Yeah. Ha having that structure and are like, they're able to make a classroom that feels authentic within like the charter, the classical charter school curriculum and, um, yeah, but that, that just wasn't my type of classroom, I think, Yeah. to do. So, yeah, I, I basically, like, I've, I experienced some behaviors that being there one day, it's fine. I, being there one day, like, I, I was able to take it and, um, you know, but the, having to deal with it over and over again. Like kids, for example, like, having to teach over kids that talk. Or, you know, setting an expectation for a, a period that's supposed to be silent or an activity that's supposed to be um, silent or another expectation like the kids are supposed to stay in their seat. Like the first time you, you set it and somebody breaks that, um, that rule that you set or something, it, you know, it's annoying, but it's not going to like ruin you, <laughs> you know, but doing it or having to deal with it over and over again where you just have kids that after a while it seems like they're intentionally just like breaking your rules and messing with you <laughs> it it gets really frustrating and you you kind of doubt yourself as a person and as a teacher and like I, I've, I've felt I faced all sorts of doubt um and yeah so what kind of like, what kind of doubt confidence. what kind of doubt would you would you face in like a classroom setting I mean, because these kids are a lot younger than you, right? Like, yeah, exactly. But 
So it's all kind of like you versus yourself, right? It's like, oh, they don't respect me. Like, do my peers not respect me? Am I? Do I not come across as a confident person? Why right. aren't they listening to me? Um, am I incompetent? All, all sorts of things like that. Because there are just 18, you know, 20 or so kids. And after a while... <laughs> Wow, this is getting really <laughs> deep into my uh, <laughs> my struggles. Shani, that's okay. Shani's wondering if this thing is on. <laughs> He's getting the name of the podcast. Yeah, it was really hard, and I had like I think some of the lowest points of my confidence ever were in the classroom and like nights where I went home and I was just like, oh my god, that was just a terrible day. How would you um, decompress from that? Like, what was your strategy? Um, I had, like I took baths. I did everything. Um, yeah, you get Epsom salt. You do some of those, like, <laughs> nice magnesium baths. I've been reading a lot about that. Baths, wine. Yeah? Um, you know, when I was living at my parents' house the first year, that was my thing. Come home and, like, take a bath. Uh, I definitely liked going to run after work. Um, Did you feel like you were able to totally shut off work? No. Yeah, it, it was, like... You know, when I was in social situations having conversations, I would always be thinking about work and like. Yeah, that that was a big thing for me. I had to work on curtailing this year. Is like, I have Outlook on my phone, right? And so I would come home from work and check if I got any mails because it was kind of like a rush, you know. Yeah. But uh, having that time to just decompress and focus on you, I think, is uh, kind of important. Right. I know it's just hard because like you feel like as a teacher, you want to do everything that you can do to like control the situation. Right. And, I mean, I, I will say, like, last year, for example, um, you know, the, there were some successes. Like, I don't, I don't want to totally um, discount my whole experience. Like, right. out of um, ev- every single, for example, like, every single kid in my class ended up passing the state test. We had a 100% pass rate in math and ELA. Is that, like, abnormal for the program or I mean, is that the expectation? For, for the program. They're like, from my school, that's what you're shooting for. But in New York State, 50% of kids passed the test. So, like, for me, it did seem like my classroom was a little (laughs) rowdy. And, like, there were so many times where the kids just weren't listening. And, like, I was frustrated. But, you know, they they were proficient at the skills that I tried to teach them at the end of the day. Definitely. Um, But, like, how did I meet that goal? I... I had to raise my voice. I had to, like, do do lots of shit that I regret. Yeah. Um, And, like, felt bad about doing. And, like, I wasn't always nice. Yeah. So, I just, I didn't feel like a good person doing it. And having that feeling over and over again, I I needed to leave and, like, figure out something else for me to do. So, So one thing I'm curious about, I mean, you're a very creative person. I know I've seen your artwork and stuff. It's, like, how, how did you... A, bring creativity into the classroom within those constraints. And then B, how did you kind of wish you could bring in more creativity? You mentioned kind of wishing you had, you know, more freedom to do stuff. So, so yeah. maybe, like, what are some things you would have done differently? Differently, But probably start with the first one. I mean, yeah. like, I think that would no, be that's interesting. A, that's for, a great point. Um, so, I, first of all, a lot of my lessons and the tools that I used to teach were very visual. Um made lots of like anchor charts that were all illustrated and did illustrations with all the steps of the processes that I was teaching. Um, Can you give me an example? Like I don't know what an anchor chart is. Uh, so so an like... anchor chart, <laughs> it's basically when you're teaching something 
like let's say you're teaching an algorithm, you're teaching someone how to multiply, right. um, or you're teaching them how to divide, um, or add fra- fractions is good because fractions are so visual. Yeah. So teaching them what it, what an equal part looks like um, to a pizza, or I used candy all the time. So breaking up a piece of candy, I would draw the whole piece of candy and then break it up into like nice little pieces or something like that. Um, with my incentives also, I made anchor charts to show um, what it is you could earn by meeting the expectation or, um, or doing well in an assignment. I see. So I had a ticket system in my classroom right. where I gave out these paper, t- you know, these tickets that you would get at a carnival right. or something like that. And um, you can cash out. I'm sure a, a lot of listeners out there <laughs> had similar systems in their classrooms, like third grade, second grade. My 40 listeners, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I remember some using tickets as a kid or something, or at the war school store. Yeah. So I, I would illustrate, like, um, prizes. I would draw sports and stuff like that if they could right. earn a, a sports experience or a lunch bunch pass with their friends or a homework pass. And that was, I think, where they got the most excited when they saw that I was into it right. and drawing and doing something that I like to do. They were like, oh, this is actually going to be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. So they bought into that pretty well. The problem was I overdid it at times. And by the end of the school year, their pockets were, tickets were just flowing out of their pockets. And right. It just became kind of meaningless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, What did they, like, win with those tickets? I mean, you know, prizes. Okay. I had a big prize bin in my classroom. I yeah. had... They could earn lunch lunch bunches, like I said. They could earn homework passes. I see, I see. Um, ca- tons of candy. Yeah. I had so much candy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that also felt a little weird. Yeah. Because I, I was bribing them so much. Right. Um, and they knew it. They were like, oh, are, I'm not going to... Like, by the end of the school year, they were like, I'm not going to do this, like, if there's no candy involved or something. Yeah, yeah, I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> Kids get addicted to sugar quick. Yeah. So. But where, where I wish that I... Like, your, your Part B question, where I wish that... Right. I added more. I, I wish that I was able to get them to be the ones drawing a little bit more and, like, getting them to... Yeah. To make... Um, to be creative but you mentioned that your kids were i mean to me offline like you mentioned that your kids were creative in different ways oh for sure did you were you able to integrate some of that creative energy into the classroom i mean or just was it something that kind of came about naturally because kids are yeah gonna go have fun no definitely i mean um we did um a lot of the creativity came after we took the tests, right. like the state test in May. Right. So we did a, a great poetry unit yeah. um, at the end of the school year, like the last month, May, June. And we had a poetry slam two years in a row. We invited all the parents in and they brought in food from like their cultures and stuff like that. And that actually turned out to be awesome because they get up there in front of a crowd and they read and they have a whole body of work. Like they bring, they bring their poetry booklet that two months right and it turns out to be really cool um and then also in small group when i bring them in from um to, for intervention for kids that need the extra support i, I would do projects because in, in that setting i wasn't being monitored as much and the curriculum wasn't as set so i could kind of make up um the objectives a little more and so we would do things like oh, where where are you from project and they, they would research whatever country they came from and together a poster or something right. like that so right. there were times I, I think on an individual level where I was able to 
let them uh, do more kind of independent learning. But in a, whenever it was a group setting, I, I was really teaching to a script, and that was just very frustrating all the time. Right, so. right. Uh, before we move on to kind of what's next for you, because I know I, I want to dig into that a little bit. Uh, one of the things, you know, I was spending some time with my baby cousin yesterday, and I just kind of get this appreciation for the energy kids have and this, like, awe that they have for the world, you know, where they're not kind of set in their, their thought patterns. Were there any lessons you kind of took away from uh, your kids that you kind of integrated back into your life that maybe made you think differently uh, from observing kind of how they interact with the world? Oh, that's interesting. Um, that I, I guess what you're saying with your cousin they they just get excited about the littlest things right so just seeing the world through someone that is experiencing something for the first time um just like even little objects that they have um the way that they take care of them or like something as small as a pencil or something that they brought from home because as a kid going to this school they had so many rules and things that they had to um that were holding them back to kind of be their own person. Like the uniforms they had to wear, they had to be silent so much of the day and walk in a certain way. And I mean, the rules were insane at times. They had to hold their hands kind of on on their desk, like we call it scholar positions, to to make sure that they weren't um, playing with anything. They had to sit up straight. Like the amount of times I said, slide and sit up, fold your hand, things like that. An embarrassing number of times throughout the school year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the little bits of freedom <laughs> that they did have, and uh, whenever they kind of were able to sneak something by me, that just the amount that they enjoyed it, um, is something I try to think about. Like how much freedom I have as an adult, how much I, I need to enjoy that, um, just because of the way that they, I guess, like enjoy the littlest things. Yeah. So. Were there times you would try to do that as a teacher and like let yourself enjoy the, the teaching process? Or that's a good point. Um, I wish more so because I was just so, there were so many days I just didn't want to be there. I'm so frustrated. Right. Um, but in my periods off, um, there were there were times where I was like, all right, I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm just going to enjoy having these 30 minutes or 40 minutes to myself. Uh, towards the end of it, in my third year for lunch, I told myself I just wasn't going to do any work. And you know what? Just have have a lunch, sit down, eat my sandwich, listen to a podcast or something. Yeah. Um, and just enjoy it. So uh, you talked a lot about your your strategies for decompressing after yeah. work. Like now that you haven't been you know working as much for the past two months, not that that's yeah, a bad yeah. thing at all. Like right. you notice that you're overall more decompressed there. Yeah. No, I think it's been really good for me. Just these two months at least. Um, trying not to think about it. <laughs> I don't want to say being productive but right. trying not to think about yeah work and just you know my goal is to just take care of myself right now and mm. um you is know, that like a day by day presence thing or like uh is that just like a in the moment living in the moment yeah I think a you know a day by day uh I'm just trying to do things in my routine that make me feel good and right, right. Um, are going to be, you know, good for me right now and long term, so that I'm able to be in a place where um, I can, you know, start start a job and feel really good about it right. and like, advance my career.
here, but I don't feel like I'm ready to do that right now. I want to yeah. kind of work on my, you know, work on myself first. Yeah. So, reading your blog, getting those tips. Yeah. <laughs> well, so this is something I've talked about in my blog is having yeah. a morning routine, and you know, I've right. fallen in and out of, you know, the pattern of having that, but it, but it's definitely something that helps. You know, yeah. when when you feel overwhelmed to kind of have something Just to go back to every day. We are, folks, we are on the Merritt Parkway. There's always <laughs> traffic on the Merritt Parkway. That's a fair feeling. But, but the reason I bring that up is, you know, you mentioned routine. And so you have all this free time now. Like, how have you gone about creating a routine for yourself? And, like, what has your routine been, you know, right. without a job? That has been, yeah, it's been difficult because I've been moving around. Right. Um, and so I, I think when you're not in the same place, you know, consistently, it's harder to have routine. Um, to structure your day. Right. So I've been moving back and forth from my apartment in New York City to uh, New Rochelle. And I went to Vermont at one point uh, for my dad's 60th birthday for a week. I'm going to Vermont now with you for a week. So, yeah, that's been... It's, it has been difficult. I haven't been in uh, a routine as much as I'd like to be. But um, I will say during the week, I've been trying to exercise every day. So five days a week at least. Um, Just for the listeners out there, there are seven days in the week. Still, ah, the, the work week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach, there I are seven days. That. Um, and uh, then another thing. Okay, I haven't been doing it as much, um, but I'm on day three now. I'm trying to draw every day, like right. even if it's just twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, something like in my I have and I have one place where I want to do it in the sketchbook where I want to you know make one kind of illustration every day right. um, before I go to bed so I've been keeping that by my bed and I'm trying to um, keep that up this week nice. we'll see how that goes so uh, this is something I'm always curious about you know I, I don't have a, a baseline of artistic uh, <laughs> background right um, do you find 20 minutes a day to be effective to get into your like creative zone like that flow state you know? right um i i have so far and i think that there there are different ways to be to get into that flow zone or to be creative right. and so um and i i think about it in three ways i guess um just as a visual artist so one, one way is like when i'm designing something and that that's more of a functional um has more of a functional purpose so when I'm making a poster for somebody or when I'm, um, you know, when I took that architecture class over something when I was over the summer, when I'm, uh, organizing a, a room or like trying to design a building or a floor plan or something like that. And that, that's a longer process designing for a, a purpose. Then there's making an illustration, right. like illustrating that that's what I'm talking about more 20 minutes when I'm just like, okay, I want to draw this this uh, flower pot or something like that. Right, or, right. I want to do a quick uh, sketch of my room. Um, that is pretty quick. Um, but it's a, a fun activity and it's like a good exercise. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I want to do as a routine. Just do do like an exercise. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a work of art. Right. But do something that's going to make me feel creative and feel like I made something. And then the third thing is when I'm making like art or right. you know a, a piece or a series or something like that right. and that takes much more thought and time and um 
you know, I, I feel like I haven't really done that seriously since college. So yeah. I wish that I did, but I think that just that's like a whole different um, thing for me. So what have your been your uh, biggest blockers from uh, creating art since for doing college? That. Yeah, is that like a time thing? Is it like a? I think it's time. It's space. It's no one's telling me to do it. It's right. like I don't have a professor there that's like encouraging me yeah. and giving me feedback and right. making it feel super engaging and like an intellectual thing um so but you know i like those are all excuses and i i, f- I feel like i need to get over that and just like do it yeah so. but i mean i understand why why it's tough I, I certainly have that feeling too right like i don't allocate the time to do all the things that I say I'm gonna do, you know. Right. And, uh, we ha- we have to be stuck in traffic <laughs> without an aux cord to start recording a podcast. Yeah. Right? Uh, one of the we things I, I struggle with, you know, and I wrote about this in my last blog post, is my uh, addiction to my phone. Oh. Uh, and like that that is something you know when I sit down to do creative work that really distracts me is you know the feeling that I should be uh somewhere else right and getting into that flow state like happens but it just happens for a short period of time so i was wondering like what are your strategies for like staying focused when you're in the like the flow state i mean do you get into that flow state are you like fully locked in when you're doing an art piece so when you say flow that that's what you mean like locked in yeah so it's this idea from the psychologist and i'm blanking on his name now i think i'm not going to pronounce this right but uh he's he was a psychologist in like the 80s and flow is this kind of quieting state where you don't have like a like self-conscious thought and you're just fully invested in whatever you're doing uh-huh. uh there's a great book on this called flow uh which i'll link to in the the show notes that are maybe forthcoming um kind of pump the ac up for real quick. yeah it's pretty hot but i'm just curious about that you know like how how I mean, flow or whatever you call it, like focus state, like how do you stay in that? That's interesting. So I think when I'm doing, when I mentioned before, when I'm doing design work, um, because that that feels more like homework or like, um, you know, like a job kind of, that's harder to concentrate in because, um, yeah, like I said, it feels like homework. But when when I'm doing an illustration or... Or just drawing for me, I, I I don't know. I feel like that's easier because it's just you know you have to concentrate if you're drawing with your eyes. You know when you're looking at something uh, from observation. Um, I don't know. I th- I think that's just an activity where it's just really easy to get into it uh, and kind of lose yourself in it. So so yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I listen to music while I do it. Um, and I th- thinking about uh, another instance or setting where I do it is like um, when there are models. So yeah. there are places in, in the city that um, I go to and they have just, you know, models there for you to draw. And Shiny, every- Shiny has tried to take me to these model shows <laughs> many times. It's pretty crazy. There are a few spots. One's called um, uh, Spring Street Studio. And I mean, I don't know how many hours—at least ten hours a day—they just have someone naked there for you to like draw. <laughs> but they're, you know, usually crowded. It's like at least twenty people in the room, and it's like dead silent, and everyone is there just drawing. Um, and they'll break it up with these poses that are like, you know, they can be as short as thirty seconds. 
um, but as long as an hour or two hours. And so everyone there is kind of doing the same thing. And, you know, that's one instance where you're in a room with so many people and no one has their phone out, which is so rare. So I, I guess, like, being in a place where everyone else is doing the same thing as you or, like, everyone else is in their zone, is, yeah. that's a good thing. For, uh, I guess, for writing, like, I'm thinking about being in a library or a coffee shop yeah. where, like, everyone is working. Yeah, they have meetup groups and stuff. I've yeah. done a few of those in Seattle where, you know, you go to a coffee shop and everybody's sitting there working on their piece and kind of asking you about what you're doing and then yeah, you go cool. grab ciders afterwards well let's talk a little bit about that like what are you know what are some creative communities for you a little backstory on this you know like in uh december or so i stopped drinking for for two months and uh i kind of had this realization that you know most of the communities that i'm in the social communities are formulated around friends that i i drink with and you know Mm -hmm. while that while that's fine like i love my friends and i think they're great great people and like very interesting to talk to it did it did kind of make me realize that you know I have this desire for creative expression but I don't have that place where I go where everybody's doing the same thing as me right and so a lot of times I'm doing I'm creating in an isolated environment and uh you know that leads to me being distracted or not kind of fully diving in uh and you you know you went to Wesleyan and uh you were kind of more in the art scene so i was wondering like what do you view as your biggest creative communities and how do you go about cultivating that yeah um well i think it's changed since graduating college uh but at school so i i i did this uh my my like concentration was in printmaking right so that takes place in a studio where there are, are presses and machines that you need to use to to make a print right and so you know these machines are like there are maybe one or two of them in a big space you have to because of the nature of what you're doing like you have to share it with other people so that's definitely one kind of community where um i've been to and at school and even after school there's a place called manhattan graphic center um where i haven't made that many prints and haven't spent a ton of time there i'd like to more this year while i'm off um, go back there and there are other uh, print shops in New York City so that that that's a cool kind of community um, and you get like a lot of older people there right. um, which you know can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on who you like to hang out with yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one spot I guess there's the drawing uh, those studios where you have models um, there's a coffee shop in Nuro um, it, the Batisser, you've yeah, been there. Yeah, yeah. And Let's plug some new uh, yeah. businesses. Noam Bramson, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> you know, put us on the, uh, the New Rochelle website. They, yeah, exactly. The Patisserie, and that's one of his favorite uh, small businesses in New Rochelle. So there are always people in there doing all sorts of stuff, like weird stuff. I don't know. I don't know what people are doing in there, but like working and writing and like, meeting they're having lunch with each other and just like and it also the projects seem to be kind of community oriented for some reason i got that vibe like they're they're working on something that has to do with new rochelle right um and the guy that owns the place john he 
also had a gallery at one point right next door in New Rochelle. So he's like a big New Rochelle guy and encourages people to go in there and hang out. Um, so yeah, small businesses. Um, the, I guess the yeah, the, those, those are my creative spaces. I'll, I would love to hear more though. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's just you know interesting for me to to kind of see you know where where you progress from from college into yeah. into uh, you know living in the city and living in New Rochelle, and it's kind of struck me as this inf- uh, interesting you know viewpoint that you have like New Rochelle is our home right and I I've always noticed you'd be more drawn to kind of your hometown like huh. the communities that are in New Rochelle right yeah. and like getting more excited about them uh, even though there are more choices in, uh, other places in New York in particular, right? Like that's one of the biggest artistic cities in the world. Uh, so can you, you know, I don't know, like what, what does New Rochelle mean to you? I know you did that video (laughs) about, uh, and I'll link to this video because it was was awesome. Um, I got to put it on YouTube. Yeah. Or you could, yeah, my website. Yeah. I'll put it on, on Zach's website. Uh, or I'll put a link to Zach's website. Yeah. But, like, what what does, you know, the community of New Rochelle mean to you? And what did New Rochelle do right in terms of cultivating community for you? Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, we both love New Rochelle. Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking here. I'm trying to get into this link. So... Yeah, so for backstory, I saw this contest. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll tell, I'll answer my question through the story of this contest, right? Um, for a free apartment that they're putting up for the year um, for this new development in, New Rochelle, in downtown New Rochelle. Um, and I think right now they're going through this like process of building a lot down there. Um, I don't know how many high-rise apartment buildings are going up, like, at least five. Um, so, for one of them, they are putting up this free apartment for an artist, and I, the way that they were running the contest was having, um, like, a video competition where you submit a 30-second video explaining why you love New Rochelle, um, and also you're showcasing, like, your art by, you know, explaining why New Rochelle is so great and the perfect, the ideal place, that's how they framed it, for an artist to live. Um, so, for my video, I just kind of went to draw uh, through observation and, and illustrate different places in New Rochelle where we grew up um, and il- illustrate those places, record it, and explain why uh, it, it's the best place <laughs> for an artist. So... It was great, and, like, making that video, I made it all over town, so at one point, I made it, like, near the high school, where we grew up, and we loved, and it was, like, this really dynamic student uh, body, where we have kids from all over the world going there, and um, it's just, like, it, you, you get the sense that, you get, like, the same energy, this is one line I use in the video, you get the same energy, um, like, from being in a diverse group of people, that New York City has, you know, because um, you're with people that are speaking all sorts of languages and have like totally different life experiences than you do, and I, re- I guess I kind of related with that a lot. Like I, right. I was drawn to that 
ha- being near people that just grew up in a totally different culture or like um, just in a different way than me. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, this was something I always appreciated about the the high school, you know, is just how di- like truly diverse it was yeah. from, you know, all different angles in terms of, you know, culturally, uh, intellectually, uh, like what kind of motivated people like there were some people who were super into school there were some people who like didn't go to class you know and like that like diversity to me it means you know a whole host of different things it's not just the multiculturalism but it's also like there are just so many different people from so many different walks of life and so many ways of living and like getting an appreciation of that at a young age I think was really special right like we don't, you know, there's there's not necessarily, like, one successful path, you know, it's like, you could start a deli, like, this is something we always talked about yeah. when we were kids, right, like, there's a ton of people, you know, who just start delis in Neuro, and, like, that's their life, and, uh, right, and that's a form of creative expression, right, or, you know, of passion, yeah. uh, that I always found really interesting. But also, um, like, what you were saying about being a kid, like, when you're growing up there as a kid, you look around and that's when you kind of really notice like yeah there are all these diverse people but also like something is not right like why is it that we are in these classes you know we're both white and i'm jewish yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly um jewish yeah and like all of our friends are in these advanced placement classes and stuff like that and it's just things seem to be a little bit easier for us right and you kind of notice it, um, I think, more just when you're a kid. Right. And you're like, just this is something is not right here. And you, you want to be a part of growing up there, like making it better. You know, right. Like improving it. Yeah. As, as opposed to where I feel like almost in a way as an adult, I've become, you become desensitized to it a little bit. Yeah. So, like, I, for example, I live in a, or I did live this year in kind of like a gentrifying part of the Upper West Side right, part right. of the border, where it wasn't as much of a problem for me to live there. And I, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, um, I think like if I was younger and high, you know, just coming out of high school or something, I would have been a little bit more hesitant to be a part of that, yeah. like to live there. Um, so you just. You feel it more when you're a kid. Yeah, I've noticed this in Seattle, too. You know, um, there's a lot of neighborhoods that are going under gentrification or changing a lot since, you know, the big tech companies have been there. Uh, And the neighborhood that I'm in in particular is kind of right at the border of it. I live in an area... Actually, I live, like, in the neighborhood next to it, but there's this neighborhood called the Central District, which is... uh, kind of right on the border of where the gentrification is happening and it used to be this really multicultural neighborhood uh with actually like a tremendous african you know community and uh just like a whole diversity of shops and slowly they're you know taking down those shops and putting in rental places for you know millennials there's going to be a whole foods going up uh and you know i noticed those things uh because because the shops, like, kind of... I get excited about them because they're kind of, like, new row shops, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. But at the same time, it's not like... I don't actually do anything about it, and I don't know if I feel bad about that or not, you know? But... 
it does feel like almost overwhelming at times like the, just the world around you is just changing because of forces that are like outside of your control not even yeah or like outside of the realm of things that you're thinking about in exactly. that day that's how did in a moment um, and but there are people you know behind that that they affect and like now that you're bringing this up right like if you know if I had went to high school there or like I see this happening in New Rochelle a little bit now yeah. too right like you know like I was just driving by Lincoln Ave the other day and and uh that whole neighborhood is changing. They're putting up like a residential complex there. Yeah, like the Trump Towers there. Uh, they're going. Yeah, they're. And I know you know like we went to high school with all the kids that that live there. Uh-huh. And uh, so so having that sense of like personal connection to the area is uh, you know puts a different perspective on it. Yeah. Um, so so what do you like? I don't know. Like what what would you propose? Like, how could we appreciate those communities more than, like, how do we improve upon the communal feeling that we had, like, from high school or, like, continue that in, in, you know, as adults? Yeah, that's such a difficult question Um, and a complicated question. Um, Can I put that back at you? (laughs) What do you... Yeah, sure, and I'll take a stab at it. And then I'll think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so the first thing that I think about is, you know, as kids, we were all like, yeah, we're going to end up in New Rochelle one day, right? And I'm at this precipice now where I've been in Seattle for three years. I've been out of New Rochelle for seven years. And New Rochelle almost feels more distant than, uh, you know, than it, than it did. And, like, I could, you know, get to this point where I totally never come back, right? But there are still these things that draw me back, like like our friend Jack's party, right? Like, well, we had a friend on Saturday who had a birthday party, and he's had, he's had this annually for four or five years now, and it's just, like, a blast from the past, you know, of high schoolers. Um, and granted, it's, like, like Zach mentioned, it's the kids who are, like, in our AP classes. It's not everybody that we right. used to know, but... It's still people that I, like, don't stay in touch with coming, you know, being from Seattle. But at the same time, uh, you know, I I come back and I spend one day, you know, going out and socializing with people. And I've seen, like, 90% of the people I was friends with as a kid. And that's pretty, that's pretty special. Um, so, I think, like, having something to, to come back to, you know, is... is uh, is important like I think of the the spots we have right like uh you know I love Smokehouse Grill on North Avenue uh that has been like one of our spots since maybe senior year of high school and obviously it changed you know it's funny like it changed when we were in high school uh and the spots keep changing because Iona College is undergoing this tremendous development like the Mirage Diner used to be there but like we have these places that we want to go back to and show uh I had a you know uh a friend in town and I was like excited to show them like Anthony's Deli and all these places that like we love from Westchester County um so so I think like cultivating those uh you know is important I also think that um like the familial aspect of it like seeing each other's families and you know I'm close with all my, my friend's parents. So like I saw your, your dad the other day, right? Like, and he was peppering me with questions about, you know, what I'm doing and all of us, right? And he was remembering like when we were on 
the basketball team at your temple and uh, so I think that like gives me incentive to come back um, right wait so I'm sorry what the question is how, how like how do you maintain your connections with like New Rochelle and where you grew up or is it how to like give back to like the underserved populations in New Rochelle that we're talking about yeah I, I think I uh I think I went on a little bit of a tangent. I'm oh. just thinking about how I connect with New Rochelle and, like, okay. the ways I still do and the ways that maybe I, I didn't as much, right? And, like, maybe how we could bridge those two gaps is kind of where I was going, right? Like, there's this one side of me that, like, still connects with, like, I don't know, half the people we went to high school with, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, then, like, the, the ne- like what would put me over the edge where it's, like, I want to come back and, like contribute back to the community you know like i kind of struggle with that because it's like okay well why you know do they necessarily need do they do they need me like or do people do people need me to go do something like how can i do something that's truly good for new rochelle right like or yeah like is it even necessary for me to be there like do i do i think i'd be able to create something that's better than you know what we have but i I think i think it starts in little ways right like i think it, it it starts with exploring people's stories, right? And, like, understanding what people are up to now and, like, where, where people have, have gone. And actually, Facebook's become, like, a fascinating tool for me to just kind of track, you know, where people have gone and how they've changed over time. And in a sad way, too, like, people have, you know, had a lot of struggles and, and you know, people who were once promising kind of, you know, have ran into issues and other people have, like, found tremendous success. And, yeah. you know, it's... It, so I think exploring that could be a really cool, you know, idea. I remember, so we had this great teacher, or I had this great teacher in high school, Mr. Schultz, uh, who always said that history is about the people. But I think I think that, you know, rings true about New Rochelle a little bit too. Like, what made New Rochelle so great was the individual people that we kind of knew, like the, you know, the, the people who were like the jokesters in high school and the people who were like the star athletes and who had all these weird like personality quirks and I so I, I think that is really like the avenue that I would want to explore is not so much trying to change it so that it's like oh well if only we had like an organic foods market it would be better uh-huh. um, I yeah. think I think though on that note like one of the things that has been cool in recent years coming back is there are more and more restaurants that are like a little better <laughs> well they're better but they're also like kind of uniquely like there's a lot of soul food places that yeah. you know getting picked up by the New York Times and like um, you know we have sure. all the like delis and stuff and so embracing that a little bit as opposed to bringing in some of these big chains I think yeah. is something that's special for me you know like I, I want to come home and like go to go to the spots we used to go to as kids and, and eat that food um so, so those would probably be the two avenues I would explore is like just how do we tell the stories of like the average people you know not even the average people but just the people that live in in that community and then how do we kind of express that like cultural flavor so that you know the diversity like you have access to that diversity uh, right in a way that's not just like you know uh, facetious does that make sense a little bit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Damn. Well, that was that was definitely <laughs> a rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, let's bring this back a little bit to, um, you know, you and, and kind of what, what's next. Like, you're coming back to, 
to New Rochelle for a right. little bit. Uh, like, are there any ways, like, what are you excited about, you know, coming, coming home? I, I asked this because, you know, going to live with your parents is, uh, not the most exciting. It's not, it's just something that's kind of become this cliche as like, uh, you've hit this roadblock, but I don't think yeah. for you, you've hit this roadblock, right? Oh, I, think, thank you. I think for you, it's like, uh, you know, it's a, a period of growth in some ways too. Yeah. And so like, what, what are the things that excite you about yes. moving back home? I uh, love that you just said that. Yeah. It is not a roadblock. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's interesting that you asked that question like right after this whole New Rochelle well, conversation. Right. Um, so I feel like like coming home, I do have to... I, I, the experience will feel good if I'm thinking about where I am and like thinking about being a part of this um, this change is happening uh, in New Rochelle. Like the city is going through this period of growth. Um, that it's like super real, and I think in a couple years and maybe even months, like it's gonna look so different being downtown um, with all these buildings popping up, and all the families are gonna look different, and the schools. Like I don't know how they're gonna fit all these kids in the schools. Um, and I kind of know this um, by one activity that I did a couple months ago was canvassing with Noam Bramson. I don't know if I told you this, but um, I was canvassing with him for this city council uh, election that was happening where a candidate that he really supports, Liz Freed, is, was being primaried. Um, by a woman who he's worked with in the past and like um, I don't want to talk on Noah Bramson's behalf <laughs> but I think he didn't feel that she is the best person for the city and as they've had you know issues working together so it was really important that Liz Freed won this primary what she did and we spent like a, I think three afternoons canvassing together and I got to talk with him a lot about what's happening with Nurshell and he was like really pushing how much it's going to change over the next couple of years. So I think for me to like maximize the meaning and the, like you said, the period of growth that I get out of living at home, I want to be a part of where I am and be like, be a part of the home part of living at home. <laughs> so how do you see yourself doing that? Like, like what, said, yeah. what, what is your vision for that? I mean, right. have you thought about that at all or like, is yeah, this definitely all goes back to that the first question you were asking about giving back to New Rochelle and like connecting with your friends and family, but also um, how do you how how is your presence the best for whoever's like underserved around you? Um, so for me as an artist, artist, I, like I, I want to be a part of art that's happening in New Rochelle, um, which there is a lot of. Um, there's like a whole New Rochelle arts committee and like a, that there's a portion of the government that like their whole job is to make sure there's art happening in downtown New Rochelle and there are actually mural projects and like installations that happen down there. Um, and so I do want to like apply for the competitions that they have um, and like try to put up shows in, in businesses um, and one example of that is like that coffee shop, the patisserie, um, 
in May, John, the owner, saw me working in there, and he asked me if, like, I wanted to put up my stuff for, like, a little show, and, um, yeah, like, I ended up doing that. Uh, Did anybody buy that stuff, or, like, what was the Nobody was the bought it, because I told him it wasn't for sale. <laughs> oh, okay. It was, like, all... Basically, what I had to do was, like, go to my uncle's place and go to my dad's office and, like, get all the stuff that I've framed for other people. Right. Um, and just, like, bring it to this coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know what? He told me, like, people were really interested in it and, like, they, you know... Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much he was just kind of, like, gassing me up because I was doing him a favor by putting my stuff up. Um, but he was like, I'd love to work with you again. And one thing that I would love to do is uh, do another show with him right? but with stuff for sale by the end of the year um, well, so I mean, there's that yeah I mean that sounds like an awesome goal right like while you're home I, I do uh, you know you mentioned like New Rochelle putting into putting in all these like committees right to inspire artistic works and stuff like do, yeah. you, do you find that those government uh, interventions or government efforts are like effective uh, for inspiring creativity like a lot of the creativity i know kind of comes organically right like it's just these groups that like happen to you know grow up together and like create and uh i'm sure there's a confluence of factors and i've always heard i'm thinking of like the odd future you know like people who really change the pattern of like how music is made or like how art is made you know it's in these like little communities where people are just like constantly bouncing ideas back and forth um and I recently read this book, The Talent Code, right? It's like a classic, uh, you know, book of like how, how is, what is the like key to creativity? But what I thought was interesting about it is like, there, there, if you think about it, like there are these, these pockets of just like massive creativity and it tends to be in these like crews of people who, uh, who kind of inspire each other, right? From a very young age. Yeah. Um, but when you think about from like, you no. Know, Mayor Bramson's perspective like you're coming from a top-down approach of saying like okay how do we provide kindling for like maybe those communities to form or like individual artists to to thrive uh and so so like what what are your thoughts on that like do you think it's effective do you think that you know there's ways that it could be better yeah I mean I'm like a bit you know I'm a big government guy (laughs) so I I Do you mean that in the like big government as like like government being involved in things, or you you just like are supportive of the government? Yeah, like I I think it's just important that we have elected officials who, um, you know, are a part of making systems and structures um, that are people focused and allow people to like have the best quality of life um, that is possible. You know, right. Um, and I, I do think, like, our, it is important that our government makes systems and spaces available for artists. Right. And I do, like, the answer to your question, you know, I don't think there's one right answer. Um, but I do think, like, it is helpful when the government, there is a place for government to, like, make public art programs um, and public art for people. Right. So... Uh, one program I was a part of 
uh, I did an internship for this. It was actually like a government-funded organization called Dancing in the Streets. Oh yeah, um, I remember when you did it. I still follow them on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's run by the mayor's office, um, and they make spaces for um, like street dancers who usually dance in the subway. They, and you still get a ton of dancers, way too many in the subway, um, which is illegal and dangerous, um, but sometimes cool, and they do awesome stuff once in a while. Uh, but Dancing in the Streets, uh, they have one of their like flag, flagship programs is called It's Showtime NYC, and they create like real opportunities for artists to be professionals and like run workshops for tourists and have a real platform to showcase their work um, above ground in a safe place and get paid for it. And so I think like, yeah, that's, it's, it's super important. And I hope New Rochelle does that. And I know like in some ways they are doing that. They, there's going to be subsidized housing. Um, at, at least one of the buildings they are putting up is like, you know, it's, it's intended to be for artists who live in. And I think they're putting in like 10 subsidized apartments um, for artists to live in. Um, and so, yeah, like if you want a, a community, like New, New Rochelle prides itself. They advertise on like artists live here. It's so close to New York City. There are artists that live here. <laughs> like, okay, they need, they need to be making pro programs so that artists can actually afford to live there. And they need to open up their spaces for um, artists to use. Yeah. But that, yeah, I don't know. That's too much of a government like philosophy conversation. No, but, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I just, I, you know, I think that it's kind of hard to know what will have the biggest impact, you know, in the right. in the future. And like, so all these programs are certainly great in terms of you know, inspiring community, and, uh, I, and we, we have seen the change, right, like, we have seen these, like, shops pop up, and uh, certainly, like, the buildings around the train station have changed kind of the, the dynamic of, uh, you know, the commuters into the city, uh, and, you know, New Rochelle has become kind of this unique place. One thing I'm curious about is, uh, you know, the, like, the downtown area, and that, like, that space, like, do you have, like, a vision for, like, what would make that space even better? The best? Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting, like, when you ask people about, what, what do they think is gonna happen down there? Right. Um, like, our barber, I think we both go to him, Alex, from BNA. Um, <laughs> he is anti all the development, because he's, like, it's gonna be overcrowded, it's not gonna be nice, it's right. like, people are gonna come here that can't afford New York City, and, you right. know, all, all stuff like that so I like everyone has a different idea of what it's gonna look like um, I think no I think like the city itself the government and stuff and the mayor they, they want it to be a creative community for younger people right. that are gonna commute into New York and kind of have like a Brooklyn uh, experience and um, you know a thriving young community I don't know if they're necessarily gonna get that because I don't think there's any way around um, this, like, perception of New Rochelle that people already have. It's a suburb, like, you're going to get families that move right. in because there's a good school system, there's um, a lot of open spaces and parks and stuff. Um, it's it's a driving city. 
Um, and it's a Metro North ride. It's not, right. there's no subway access. Like, it doesn't matter how close you are to the train station, you're still commuting on the train. Um, so I think you're going to get lots of families. And I, I hope that whatever they do, like, they're acknowledging the people that already live down there. Um, and that it's like low income downtown. Um, and there are businesses there that are run by low income people and like meant to serve low income people so that they're doing whatever they can to kind of like maintain whatever cultures are down there and the, the way of life people already have and just not making barriers, but making, <laughs> making bridges <laughs> and just like making it easier for people to do what they already do. Where does that phrase come from? You're kind of giggling like that was i I'm just like, that's just a corny thing to say on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did, yeah. I think I, I think I made that up. I'm sure somebody's already said it. Well, we could uh, look that up and maybe trademark it later. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been talking about New Rochelle for a minute now. Let's bring it back right. a little bit to some of these. Is this thing on topics? Yes. Uh, oh, sorry. You know, one of the no, no, no. It's cool. I, I think this is a natural transition. But one of the things that I've written about a little bit is uh, kind of turning 25 and kind of wishing I had, you know, written some things to myself as a kid and had that like knew what I knew now. I kind of wondering what in the future like future me would tell now me so i want to pose this question to you uh you know the kids who are starting high school now are about a decade younger than us i actually saw a sign the other day it was class of 2023 right so 11 years after we graduated right they're going into freshman year so if you had you know the chance to pen a letter to someone who's starting high school now or like yourself when they were starting high school like what advice would you have given yourself and uh what would you give those students now in high school yeah specifically within new rochelle perhaps okay, but also yeah. just generally like starting high school um yeah I, I think for high school it's easy to get into a group like dynamic and so i know a lot like the, the large percentage of listeners right now are probably gonna be our friends <laughs> So, um, I have a very diverse set of uh, <laughs> listeners, I'll tell you. And I love all of our friends. Um, and I know you have a diverse set of listeners. But, like, uh, yeah, in high school, it's, like, it's very easy to fall into, like, a group kind of thick right. group crowd. And, you know, which I love that. It gives you a sense of confidence. It gives you connection. Like, you know, you feel like you're a part of something. Um, but... You know, in, in some ways, I wish I did my own thing a little bit more in high school in the way that I did do it in college and after that. Um, whereas I wish I was a part of a club or something that maybe all my, you know, close friends didn't do. Right. Or, um, like that community of artists yeah. like we were right. talking about before and trying to cultivate that earlier. Yeah, that's so hard in high school, man, because you're trying to, like, fit in and, right. you know, get that friend group and find girls and all that stuff right and then you realize at some point in your 20s that there are other things that matter and like you got to have both you know and so yeah um, and like I, I don't like being in a box you know what yeah. I mean like I, I don't like um, having a perception of myself where I I am this person and the, this is what I can do well and these are my limits right so I think like doing different activities and um, creating habits for yourself that are not putting you in that box and you know leaving your canvas you know wide open for you all right so, i'm gonna ask you another tough question here let's and then maybe we'll wrap up uh 
Give me the elevator pitch on Zach. You have, oh. you have a minute to introduce <laughs> yourself to me. And see, tell, tell me who you are and what you do. Okay. Wow. Um, my name is Zach Scheinfeld. I'm 25 years old. I am an artist from New Rochelle, New York. Um, damn it. Can we re-record this? <laughs> Just keep going. We can edit it later. Okay, okay. You're so right. Um, bro, elevator pitch? All right. Here's my thing. I'm anti-elevator pitch. I don't need to pitch myself to anybody. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Right now, I, I'm, I'm anti-elevator pitch. All right. <laughs> so we got an anti-elevator pitch artist but, over here from New Rochelle. <laughs> you should check 25. out my website, though. ZachShinefeld.com. Follow me, Shapes by Shiny. Um, yeah, I, one thing I wanted to get into about, get into, though, with, with you is this whole thing about like workism so um i just read this article that i think you'd be interested in uh about like our culture work is the place you go to like find meaning in your life you know and how over the past like hundred years it has almost replaced religion as your sense of identity your sense of purpose and meaning um, like people go to their jobs as like this is who I am so I don't know if that's the way that I want to live my life you know yeah um, so I'm just like when you mentioned elevator pitch um, as a way to like promote yourself or like your job or something like because you said what do you do you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm like right now I'm, I'm in a uh, a time period where I like I'm really exploring that as what what am I going to do because like I'm not really sure I, I fumbled on the elevator pitch thing and I don't know what I'm gonna do what I'm doing right now but does that like I'm thinking does that really matter is that the most um, urgent thing for me to figure out right now is like what job I want to have for sure yeah I mean part of the reason I asked that question is because uh, my friend at work pitched, like posed it to me. It was yeah. like, you know, this is what you're struggling with right now. Is that yeah. like you don't have that sense of identity that you can kind of frame your decisions around, and it's a challenge. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, fair criticism on your part. I asked, like, what do you do, right? Like, there is just something to be said for just like being and like uh, my aunt made this point. You know, like we're human beings, we're not human doings. Yeah, which I thought it was like a pithy uh, expression. I know my. Uh, Actually, technically, my cousin Janice should be should be listening to this. And maybe she'll she'll hear the reference to our conversation. But okay, Janice. Uh, yeah, what I thought was you know interesting about it is like there's kind of a a dichotomy. Like I think there's there is no rush to to figure these things out, and like we we have created this this false sense of like achievement you know needing to be our thing right like these like resume virtues um, you know like being like 30 under 30 and like all these Forbes lists right and like getting all these accolades uh, and I certainly like f- have felt pressured especially going to you know a place like Harvard where you know I know people who are like doing doing this stuff um, that like there's some urgency to get that done and that's not necessary but the people who are doing that are not really the people who are like striving 
to get those accolades like they're just kind of engrossed in whatever they're doing and uh, you know moving forward I, I think the workism culture is interesting as well um, because I think that like we have seen this I've, I've certainly seen this shift within tech right like you have a lot of people who are moving away from their families moving away from their communities to, uh, to do their job to do their job and to get paid very well and in uh, you know like life has become about the the outcome and like successes at least in you know was for me like in a short term period after college like how much was I getting paid how prestigious was my job uh, and there's like some lack of meaning there um, but on the other hand like I think what used to be really common maybe not like a hundred years ago but in the like maybe 50 years ago was that you would pick a job and kind of stay at it for life and so like one of the things that is changing now is this flu like fluidity of the individual, right? Like the individual has a lot more uh, freedom to kind of go around and explore and be different. And that has like a lot of pros and cons, right? Like there's like this pressure to like figure out who you are and um, like, what are you doing? And a lot of that gets tethered to a job because that is like the easiest thing, you know, somebody will pay you to tether your identity right. to kind of whatever they're doing or like to work within the system um but then eventually that becomes unsatisfying for a lot of people so you see a lot of these movements of people who are like oh i was working that corporate job and then i quit and i went to travel the world and find myself you know yeah, i think yeah. i think there's many different ways to do that i mean i think i think people you know become writers people become bloggers people people travel uh, people become artists, uh, and some people it's not like what they care about, you know, like they have other, uh, you know, they have other things that they define themselves by, like what are they doing on a week-by-week -week basis, they'll, uh, you know, watch sports or, uh, you know, play, like have some club, right, and like that becomes their thing, um, and it's all kind of arbitrary, right, and like that can be a scary thing to kind of let happen over time especially if you overthink it like I think both of us do yeah. at times right no for sure um, but I think it's fair for you to say getting back to the elevator pitch thing that is like I'm anti-elevator pitch right now because you're still in the process of being um, I just I was interested to see if you had that like pithy ready like and I noticed the thing that came out right is is you know, I'm an artist, right? right. That is like, <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> no, but but that is like the one thing that's like firm in your, you know, self, For sure, yeah. your self image, and uh, that's fortunate that you have that framing, right? And like, I think is like, I've been trying to think about uh, who I am as a person, like what what would I pitch myself as? Right. Would I pitch myself as someone who's in tech, right? Like, would I pitch myself as someone who, you know, like this blog has become like the thing that everybody's like, oh, well, you blog. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, like, that could become my thing, but I don't know if that's necessarily, like, what I'm, like, proud to say Jake is right now. Yeah. Um, but here's where I challenge you is, like, do you need a thing? Who said, like, why Why do you need a thing? And why do you need one thing that makes your identity? I, th I think it, it could be a combination of things. And it's not just what you're doing. I know, you know, another question I'm trying to ask myself right now is, what what do I believe? What do I care about? Um, who do I like to be around? Uh, you know, what, what is important to me? Right. Not, not just what do I like to do. And how does what I'm doing and how, how does that reflect and match my belief system and 
what what I care about. Yeah. So well, I think it's a multi-dimensional question. Yeah, it was. It's been really challenging for me, especially on the like, what do I believe in, and like, what do I care about, and how does that match what I'm actually doing? Like, I struggle with that a ton. Uh, you know, I think we, it's easier than ever to kind of fall into this. I mean, it, that's kind of a generic statement, but it's very easy to fall into this like groupthink paradigm where it's like there's a certain set of right things to like watch on TV, you know, to believe in, like political opinions to have, uh, jobs that are like safe or like vacation spots that are common. You like notice all these things that kind of become recurring patterns among your friends, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, taking a step back from that and thinking about, you know, what, what am I, like, what do I actually have to do? Like, what do I want to do on a day-to-day basis? Is it necessarily all those things that people, that, like, that voice in your head tells you you should be doing or, the, like, your Instagram feed tells you you should yeah. be doing? Uh, and that's really challenging, you know, because that creates a lot of that self-doubt you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why am I not doing that? Like, why do I not enjoy that? Why, like, do I want to, you know, go... Uh, on my own path and you know I kind of admire you for taking this time to, to step back and like really dig into like okay let me look I wasn't happy in this situation right like let me dig into why uh, and maybe kind of come back to some of the fundamentals and just practice living day to day and exactly you know, that's what I'm yeah um, I think you're doing the same thing though right now by even, even if you're not quitting your job you're taking this break you came home you went to Colorado and like you're self-aware um, and you're doing, you're taking steps to put yourself in a, a better position and like to ask yourself these questions. Yeah. So. Well, and what's shocked me the most about like writing so much so far is how much, you know, all my friends, like at least the people my age have resonated with kind of what with I'm talking work, about. Yeah. yeah. Even if they don't like outwardly appear like they're doing that on a day to day basis. And on top of that, I have a lot of, like, my family who's, you know, gone through this and is a little older now, reading it and saying, like, yeah, we all went through that at that (laughs) age. And so there's something, like, common to this age and this, you know, epoch in our lives. Um, But also, I think it's been exacerbated by, you know, how much media is out there, how much content, you know, there's, like... Like, I definitely felt this sense of overwhelm, and I've talked about this a little bit, like, feeling, like, just overwhelmed by, you know, the number of people that you're staying connected with, the number of things there are to go do, the number of TV shows there are to watch, like, the number of news sources, and, you know, really trying to tunnel in and figure out, like, okay, what are the the set of things that are mine, you know, like, how do I craft my, my life, and there's a whole number of blogs that I, you know, I read, and... Yeah, there's like the Tim Ferriss, like design your life. And then there's like the study hacks. How do you like focus on productivity and stuff? But at the end of the day, you know, what's become really hard is just like enjoying, like for me, is just like enjoying having nothing to do and like having open space to kind of just do whatever I want because there feels like there's too much. Yeah. And it's uh, overwhelming how much right, freedom you have. Right, right. Yeah, and, and especially as, like, more and more things become automated, like, you know, I don't have to worry, I can do, like, order something on Amazon, I don't have to run to the store, like, I can get something delivered the same day, That's right? interesting. And yeah. all my tasks get automated away, it's like, anytime something takes longer than that, you know, you get kind of frustrated, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it can be, it can be a challenge, um, 
so I don't know that that is that is just some of the the thoughts I've been thinking about. I actually forget your original question now. I was kind of going down a bit hole my thoughts so a lot. But uh, yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. I uh, you know I appreciate like turning the you know turning the tables back on me. Like, um, sorry, that's just an avoidance strategy. No, no, it's good. It's not. It's it's like kind of the purpose uh, of the you know of the chat. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think I think that you know we got down enough of a rabbit hole there. I really enjoyed you know chatting with you. We got it, we made it to Massachusetts. I hope the pod heard the dap just now. Yeah, that was some <laughs> quality dap. Um, you know, I hope to have you back on the podcast again. This is something that you know I'm going to try to do with a lot of people that you know I'm close to in my life. If they're if they're okay with it, you know, is just kind of talk to them and see see what they're doing and why. Um, That's such a good idea. It's a powerful tool. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, thank you. And thank uh, you. is there anything you'd like to say, you know, to, to the listeners before before we go? Um, well, if you made it this far, I'm very impressed. <laughs> to listening to me. Um, yes, hi, Coach Rob. I know you're <laughs> the only one that is listening to this. And Jody. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but yeah. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do with all these ideas and your time off and, you know, continue to inspire the kids and inspire your friends and uh, you keep going, man. Of course. Yeah, no, no. But I also want to say, though, lastly, it's too much. Okay, no, no. That I, I, I like, I am really um, inspired by, like, what you're doing. Even what you just said about wanting to talk to all your friends and, like, hear all their experiences and just this whole making process that you're going through jake i think it's awesome and i want i want to do something similar so thank you for doing that yeah all right all right goodbye later guys